Welcome to Rising Tide Startups, where today's most exciting solopreneurs share their startup stories. They also deliver tangible strategies that they would implement personally if starting their business over today. Each episode is a startup masterclass. Make sure you take notes. Take it away, Kevin. This is Kevin Brook with another episode of Rising Tide Startups, and my guest today is Amy Smith. Amy, thanks for joining us on Rising Tide. Hi, Kevin. Thanks so much for having me. Great to be here. I would love for you to share a little bit about Amy Smith to our Rising Tide listeners. Yeah, awesome. Well, you can probably tell from the accent. I'm uh, from Australia, so from the great land down under in, uh, in Sydney and uh, have grown up there, but been an avid traveller through my uh, career as well. So I spent a lot of time uh, living in Canada and then also living in the UK and, and working over there. But uh, back here in, in Sydney and, uh, yeah, entrepreneur, business owner. Um, so that's, I guess, me in a nutshell. But, uh, you know, I've had, a, you know, university education, all those sorts of things. But I'm kind of on the opinion now that maybe, maybe not that didn't serve me as, as best as we, uh, we could have. So let's, yeah, I'm sure we can get stuck into that now that I've done the entrepreneur track rather than the corporate track. So, yeah. So walk us like like from the time that you you got out of university and so what was kind of the first step after university and what was your major or what was yeah, your so specialization? Yeah, majored in uh, human resource management, uh, mm -hmm. a little bit of marketing as well, and then strategic management and leadership. So uh, it was a, a commerce degree that I did and I wasn't a numbers girl, so I went straight into uh, more of the people side of things and right. the communication side of things is where I fell into, uh, which is great. And then. When I graduated from uni, I thought, uh, you know, most of my, uh, I guess, fellow students were heading off to some graduate roles and I kind of uh, decided that I wanted a little break. So I headed off to Canada and worked in the snow for a few months, which was awesome fun. So that was kind of like my break from uh, after, you know, the hard slog of university or college. <laughs> Just now, is this fun. like in Alberta? Is, is this where you, where you were in that area, like around Banff or Calgary or... I was in Whistler, which is, okay. uh, well, they call it Australia because there's actually more Australians than <laughs> Canadians I work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, that was, that was great fun and uh, sort of, you know, kicked off my career from there. Were you working on a, in a ski slope there? I mean, in HR or were you working, I mean, that, were the two things connected or you just went there and just said, I, I, I can just get a job and, you know, rent skis yeah. or whatever that was? Yeah, yeah. Well, snowboarding was uh, front of mind. That was probably my first and foremost goal at the time uh, to to snowboard and some decent snow because we don't get that much uh, great snow over here sometimes in uh, in Australia. And I was working at the Fairmont Hotels over there. So I actually had a variety of different roles, um, you know, from housekeeping right through to some admin, right through to some junior HR roles over there as well uh, in amongst that time. So it was actually really cool to um, learn the inside out of how a hotel works and how a hotel runs. So that was a really, really cool experience and learned a lot, you know, from the management side of things moving forward in my career. Was that, was that pretty easy to move from like one Commonwealth territory to another, like from Australia to New Zealand or Australia to Canada or is that is that pretty easy for members of the Commonwealth? 
Yeah, like for Australians, it is like you have to go through the process of applying for your visa and things. And I was pretty uh, like I knew kind of leading up to the end of uni, that's what I wanted to do. So Mm -hmm. at the time I was on forums, I was on blogs, I was like working out how everyone else did this. And then I sort of, you know, went through the process. But I had a a Skype interview uh, with the Fairmont Hotels when I was still over here. And I think it worked out to be about three in the morning for me over here, which wasn't the best time. But, (laughs) you know, I still got dressed up as I would for a normal interview and did that and uh, that was actually the feedback that I got was um, a lot of people weren't taking it so seriously Mm. because again you know a few years ago video interviews weren't still that common now we're on video all of the time but I think a few years ago people didn't really know how to do video interviews that well so uh, one of the feedbacks that I actually had was that I was one of the only ones that you know actually got out of their pajamas I'd say <laughs> wow yeah they were actually vertical they they, they weren't laying in their bed looking at looking at the Skype on their computer but so walk us through the kind of the the timeline from you know the, the working at Whistler to what you do today just kind of walk us through that 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 transition period Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, after my six months of uh, fun in the snow, I kind of said, all right, now now it's time to get onto my career. Now it's time to get back on track and uh, came back to Sydney and started uh, working recruitment. So that was uh, working for an agency in recruitment in the technology space. So uh, I was um, recruiting, you know, lots of different uh, people from developers to scrum masters to you know, um, solution architects, all of the above in technology. And that was really fun because that was a great way to learn. I was able to sort of utilize, um, I guess, my, my people skills in that as a mm-hmm. first role and really sort of learn the inside out of how recruitment operates um, and started on LinkedIn at that time as well. So I was really um, navigating that platform in the early days and really starting to connect with people through that. Um, and then that was a that was a contract role to get me started, and I had the choice sort of afterwards. They wanted to extend me in that role, and I still had that travel bug within me that didn't go away. And in that time, I'd actually applied to get my visa for the UK and headed over to the UK, uh, and had a job lined up before I went over there as well. So I actually um, that was probably my first aha moment with LinkedIn was getting a job uh, in the UK before I'd even mm. left Sydney as right. well. And had a job uh, executive recruitment role in the private equity space over there, lined up, ready to go. So again, I just, you know, packed up my backpack and went around Europe for a little while and then landed in London. And then I was over there working for a couple of years and I had a variety of different roles there, um, a lot to do, some consulting with uh, HSBC, which was mm-hmm. great, and working yeah. with them on their staffing strategies and their branches. Uh, and then, you know, was able to really... Um, yeah, work over there for a couple of years, Great, get some great international experience and then headed back home to, uh, to Sydney. So I see a pattern here. You, you leave Australia, you, you work a while, then you return. It's like a, is, isn't that the kind of the boomerang effect or something like it is, that? that it you've is, got? Yeah, it's that so, damn travel so, bug. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. You, you stay there for a little while, then you get this kind of this wanderlust again and you're hit, you're back on the road. So, so yeah. what happened when you came back to Australia? Did you go back into HR at that time or back into like a contract role or have had a job lined up? Yeah, so I came I came back and then I was on the job hunt again and within a couple of weeks I was in a, a HR management role with the YMCA. So um, that was awesome because that was in that sports and recreations industry. Mm-hmm. Um, really, really cool um, community, you know, feel for the right. place as well. Uh, so that was awesome. I ran a, a few centres uh, here in Sydney in the city 
Um, we I had a team of, you know, we probably had around 650 staff that I was managing wow. across multiple centres. So it was it was quite a, a great role in terms of just the diversity of people you'd get to meet and then also the diversity of the role too. Mm-hmm. And then through that process, um, you know, I, I was there and I was working there. I think I'd been there probably about a year and a half. And then uh, we had a, a takeover happen. So uh, I had to make myself and everyone else redundant, which was uh, not the most fun experience to go through, um, but a really, really great learning curve for me, I guess, really early in my career um, to, to have gone through that kind of, you know, change management process and, you know, transition uh, into the uh, transition into the new employer that had, right. had come in, taken over the, the sites. Um, and then after a while, I was I was out again. <laughs> what is I did you say YMCA was a, was subject to a takeover? Yeah, so we had a, so YMCA New South Wales is kind of a separate entity down here. Um, okay. And so we have um, it was not the company itself. I should clarify that's not the company itself, but it's more so the sites that we managed. So the sites that we okay. were managing around right. Sydney were taken over by another provider. So, you know, for us, that was a, a big takeover, but not so much like a company, you know, the company's still alive and well, um, that's still operating, but it was just the, you know, we had five or six sites in our sort of zone or area. Okay. That, These were um, more location-based. Yeah, location-based. Like the, the buildings themselves, yeah. yeah. So I, because yeah. I, I was, I was trying to get my head around this, you know, yeah, YMCA like, was such a takeover. <laughs> Isn't that like a non-profit, like globally or something? Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I should have clarified. I want to block away from our house or yeah. So <laughs> in our little over. internal world at the time, it was devastating. But yeah. Oh, I, I mean, six hundred people that you have to make redundant. That that is devastating mm-hmm. at at any time. And and uh, I'm kind of curious. So, were the the facilities were taken over, but for the same purpose? I mean, were they still used as kind of gym or recreation centers? Yeah, they were. Uh, yeah, so it was just a, um, you know, everything, the new contracts were up for a tender and, you know, we weren't able to get that tender. And the business at the time was going down another strategic direction in terms of yeah. focusing on more regional areas. So mm-hmm. with the combination of all of that, it just kind of imploded on us. But, right. uh, you know, it was a great, great experience. Um, there's still, you know, a lot of great people like working there through head office and all the rest of it that um, are still great and we have good relationships with them as well. It was just one of those things that happens, right? It's yeah. It's just business sure. and it's right. and now it's going to happen to people more than ever. Mm. I'm sure people now are experiencing things oh, they absolutely. never thought would happen in their careers. So, yeah. you know, it was a really good early lesson for me to uh, really think about the concept of job security yeah. um, because in my mind that was a solid job and I would have that sure. for a few years, but it wasn't to be. So, yeah. I'm, I'm interested. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I, I warned you in the prep materials that that I may chase a rabbit here or two because I mean that what you just said was really interesting <laughs> and it 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 brought a question to my mind. Do you think that 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 I guess the transition being made redundant? I mean, eventually, if if you had to make everyone else redundant, you know, your job becomes redundant as well because there's no yeah. one left to manage. But do you mm-hmm. think that 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 was a spark that led you to kind of start your own thing was just that when you was was something broken in you a little bit the like the security or um i don't know really how to phrase it you, you kind of know where i'm i'm getting at here yeah yeah i think 
For me, I've always had an entrepreneurial streak in me mm. since a young age. So I actually started my first business when I was 12, uh, which is a kind of strange for a lot of people. But I used to uh, make homemade, handmade bags. Like I would sew my own bags out of materials. And uh, my family used to donate like all of their old jeans to me. I'd cut off the legs and then I'd sew up and turn it into a bag and sell them at markets and at school. And so that was kind of in me from a young age to sort of do things that are a little bit different and out of the box and you know ways to make money that when I couldn't actually work for someone else I was like how do I make money <laughs> so that was kind of um, in me from a very young age and I think when this happened it, it did sort of shift something in me to think okay well nothing is forever so mm. when I'm looking at you know careers and I think you know, that's something that's quite common amongst a lot of, you know, millennials, if I'm to put a, a bracket around it, yeah. is that nothing is forever these days. And there's there's the ideal that you, people used to hold around their careers of going to work for one company, moving through that company, and uh, I guess essentially growing up within that mm -hmm. company and then retiring uh, with a gold watch at the end of it. Right. Like those days are long gone. So I yeah. think a lot of uh, people, particularly millennials and Gen Zs, you know, they do have a shorter tenure in mind in their in their heads and it's mm -hmm. it can be from their own perspective, but they also can see the world around us and how fast things move and how quickly things can shift as well. So, right. yeah, I think it was a, a combination of me having already an entrepreneurial streak in me um, and knowing that eventually I will do something on my own and then, you know, the, the other side of things where I had that personal experience of, of having to really, you know, go through that redundancy process. So speaking of starting something on your own, so so how, what is what has this led to? What what did you launch and and kind of create? Yeah, yeah. So I guess my next role after uh, being made redundant was I started working uh, for a leadership company, executive coaching company, mm -hmm. um, and so I was a part of a I guess you know working within the head office. There. I was a part of a, a global network of sixteen thousand executives across sixteen countries. And, you know, my role there was really helping ex-CEOs that had run companies of sort of anywhere between five to 100 mil. And they'd kind of hit a point in their life where they're like, I'm not ready to retire. Right. But I also wanted to mentor and, you know, leverage my skills for other business owners out there. And so I would sort of help them, you know, make that transition and launch their own executive coaching businesses within that model of the, the workplace I was in. Okay. And so from there, I got thrown into the world of coaching, got mm -hmm. thrown into the world of, of leadership development. Um, I was working with a lot of really intelligent uh, business owners. Right. I was sitting around boardroom tables with people that had, you know, tons of experience in business running massive, massive companies around the world. And so that was a massive trigger and a shift for me to think, well, I should be doing something on my own now. <laughs> Um, and so, you know, after I, I launched my own consulting and coaching business, um, you know, after I, I finished up there and I, I made that transition where I started coaching people as a bit of a side hustle uh, after when I was still working there, mm -hmm. I dropped down my role to part time. Thankfully, I had an amazing CEO who was so supportive of me. I was very transparent with her when, when I got to that point of where I was at. And uh, she was amazingly supportive of me to make that transition into my own business. And so I was very, very lucky at the time to have that. And so then I was able to, to jump into my own thing full time. And it was, a, it was a very smooth transition. Was there, I mean, was there a bit of a conflict of interest at, at that time with, with your kind of your day gig and your side gig going on at the same time? Were they, were they too close to be in the same space or kind of to do it on a prolonged basis? Yeah, look, at the time it wasn't 
Because I was coaching people that weren't, I guess, in the market for the business that I was in. So uh-huh. I started off coaching. I was approached by a lot of, uh, I guess, people early in their careers. So they were mm. graduates finishing uni, people that were sort of mid-level in their careers and looking to step up into leadership roles. Um, and the business I was working for focused on the other side of the spectrum where they would only be coaching people that were running companies that were $5 million in turnover or more. So it was more sort of the people in their careers that I was focused on, um, whereas the, the business I was working for was coaching more business owners and um, executive directors right. at the time. Right. Yeah. yeah. So when what year was this that, that you started kind of that you transitioned on your in your on your own? Yeah, so this would have been the start of uh, 2018, um, mm-hmm. sort of the, the early months of that year, first six months of that year was that sort of transition phase. So I guess it's been yeah, just on a couple of years now or a year and a half where I've been yeah, out on my own, which is uh, scary to think about. Time flies, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. How, what was the, the window of time where you were part-time versus when you walked out the door completely? Well, I guess I kind of, I, I backed myself and made the jump a little earlier than what people, other people may have in that you know, I was kind of, you know, a lot of people I speak to now that sort of build it up into a side hustle will build up their income to a point where it kind of takes over their salary mm-hmm. and then goes. Yeah. So I'd actually been working probably part-time for about three months before I decided to make the jump. And I not had yet replaced my, you know, full-time salary, but it, I had enough confidence in the business to know that if I had opened up this extra few hours a week... Yeah that I could really use that to, to really grow and, and grow fast. So that's sort of the judgment call that I made at the time. Right. And it's different for everyone. You know, everyone's mm-hmm. in different financial situations. And all, I don't have kids. You know, that was a big, big part for me was that I know a lot of people, if you're starting a business with kids, it's extra pressure, right? It's a mm-hmm. lot of things you've got to work out. So, you know, for me at the time, I was thinking, you know, I was I was had a high tolerance for risk and I'm like, here we go, let's go. <laughs> I love that. And, and that's exactly, I mean, that everything that you're describing is kind of the genetics of, of a true risk-taking entrepreneur. And, but I'm calculated risk. I mean, you, yes. you, I mean, this was, this, there, this had a plan, this had a strategy behind it, you know, for you to, yeah. to make that, that decision. But so you and I are going to step on a lift. We're going to go up 10 floors. You got 45 seconds to kind of give me your, your elevator pitch. I, I'm potentially an ideal client. So, so tell me about a lion tribe. Oh, pressure's on, pressure's on. (laughs) (laughs) You can handle it. (laughs) No, that's great. So, um, yeah, my my business is Online Tribe, so I help executive leaders um, and organisations really future-proof themselves in the rapid-changing world of work. So, you know, really taking people um, from the offline to online, uh, whether that be, you know, an executive who... Uh, has had their career their whole lives and then, you know, doesn't have that digital presence or doesn't have that uh, ability, I guess, to continually remain relevant as we move forward uh, in the future world of work. Um, And for organisations as well, it's looking at their systems, processes and people to look at how they can best adapt um, to this new world as well. And a lot of that involves um, helping their millennial leaders as well. We've got a lot Mm -hmm. of millennials now will be 75% 75% of millennials uh, will be in the workforce globally by, it'll make up the 75% of the global workforce by 2025. So wow. I think a lot of, uh, you know, millennials are now stepping up into those executive positions and they're leading and managing a lot differently to previous generations. So I kind of help bridge that gap. The old boomers like myself, we better get ready, huh? 
<laughs> the millennials. I don't the like that at all. Every, everyone has everyone has so many great skills and experience to bring. It's just about how we can all meet in the middle and leverage off one another. I'm actually I'm I'm a actually a true millennial. I'm I'm just in a boomer suit. You know, it's, <laughs> it's that, it's, I I I bleed millennial. I, I act like I a millennial. So <laughs> no doubt about it. So I I'm curious, how do you if you're if you're talking if I'm your ideal client that you're kind of doing your pitch to, how do you measure ROI? Because it seems like it's it's almost like an intangible you know benefit to you know to do some of the services you described. And is that is that really one of the the biggest hurdles you have to get over when you when you're pitching to a potential client is is really showing them what's the what's the tangible ROI to this. Yeah, I guess, you know, from the uh, organizational side, if you're looking at it from a people perspective, we'd be looking at measuring your current uh, retention rates for your staff. Mm. We'd be looking at your engagement levels with your staff. We'd be looking at um, your recruitment pipeline and how fast you are able to attract great talent and what that looks like. So there's some really measurable things in there that we can help sort of move the needle on in each of those different elements, depending on what your focus is on at the time. And I guess working with individuals from the executives that I work with, it's really looking about their um, their branding and their presence online. So to be looking at, you know, things like growing your LinkedIn network and looking mm -hmm. at Okay, how many, you know, connections do you have when we started working together? And then how many, you know, new opportunities and connections do you have? You know, if you're a business owner or you're in your own consulting firm, it's like how many conversations have you been able to generate from, you know, having a bigger digital presence yeah. and, and having those conversations online? How is that translated into sales? You know, so there are things along the way that, yeah, it sounds quite fluffy, but when you actually look under the hood and get into it, mm -hmm. there's a lot of like really measurable things along the way. I, uh, I, I want to tell our listeners you need to you need to follow Amy online. She is really really good at LinkedIn and really knows her stuff and you know really creates some great content. So I I have truly enjoyed you know seeing the things you produce, the videos you produce, and other other articles that you post on there and comments you've made. So I I really want to applaud your your LinkedIn status and LinkedIn presence online. It really is classy. Yeah. Thank you. Appreciate that. Yeah. So I'm I'm curious. Let's let's kind of bring this all to a to a head in the current you know pandemic crisis that we're facing yeah. right now. I mean, the, of all people, somebody that really understands HR really feels this at a at a gut level. I mean, you know, you you've seen yeah. every facet of this, you know, and you see that you can obviously walk through the fallout of this as well. How is mm. number one? How has it affected your business? And then after that, I just kind of speak from your wisdom and experience like like you're talking to you know early stage founders or people that are trying to lead their teams through this kind of malaise called you know COVID-19 and just give yeah. them some helpful hints of you know ways to, to, to navigate well. Yeah absolutely look this is unprecedented times that we're all in and I think uh, one thing to acknowledge is that no one expected this no one was prepared for this and we also don't have anyone that we can sort of lean to that has been through this, right? Mm, and we and yeah. can sort of, you know, is that expert that can give us all the solutions um, because the reality is that everything is still an unknown. So I guess um, for me personally, in my own 
business. Um, of course, this has, you know, affected my business as it has for a lot of other businesses out there, um, mainly because, you know, I was uh, doing a lot of speaking gigs and events and um, a lot of the consultancy side of things, you know, businesses are really sort of bunkering down and, mm-hmm. and you know, eliminating a lot of the, the um expenses and other things like that, which is just a natural reaction in these times. So the sort of uh, people-focused areas that I was in is sort of on hold at the moment. But I guess the way that I've set up my business and the way that I'm really scaling and moving my business forward uh, is in the online space. So Mm -hmm. there's two sides to it where, you know, now it's like just focusing on the online space. I do all my coaching online with people all over the world. Um, And then I've got, you know, some online programs and all those sorts of things that, you know, are now sort of ramping up. So I think it's kind of two sides to it. Um, I'm also very grateful and thankful that I don't own a restaurant right now because oh, I know wow. there's a lot of people that are, or a are suffering more. <laughs> or a gym, yeah. So uh, for me, I, I just think, look, I'm really grateful for, for the position I need to be online and I can move forward from here, no problem. Um, and I guess, you know, for other people out there, the biggest thing is that everyone is quite, um, the energy is quite heavy at the moment. Mm-hmm. You'll probably feel it with your yeah. team members and you'll feel it with everyone you speak to on the street. And so I think um, there's people that are really stuck in fear right now and are kind of in that scarcity mindset, which is a really, really hard thing to get out of. But I think mm. one of the, the best things to do is start to look at the silver linings and start to bring the positives out in this. Because as we know that there, there will be opportunity after this and it's the business owners and the leaders right now that are pivoting, that are moving fast, that are taking action, that aren't yeah. just pulling the doona over their heads, um, <laughs> are the ones that are going to come out the other side of this stronger than ever. So I think, you know, if you are feeling that the, the best thing to do is just fill your head up with as much positivity as you can, switch off the news and just mm. like keep moving forward and keep focused on what your goals are because there will definitely be opportunities out there. Um, you know, from a from a leadership point of view, like I wrote um, a blog recently on how leaders can really sort of manage through this time. And the three key things that I think are really, really um, helpful to remember is you have to really be real with your team in these times. Have to sort of call out the elephant in the room. Like no one, as a, as a CEO or a leader, no one wants you to go into the room and sugarcoat things because they know it's not true and they know what's going on. So you really just have to be vulnerable, be a little bit empathetic to where your team members are at and just be real with them. If you don't have the answers, say that, you know, they're not going to, um, they're not going to think any less of you. Um, in fact, you know, the CEO of Microsoft sent out a great email where it was, it was actually sort of letting his team members know that there were times where, you know, he felt hopeless and he felt that, you know, he wasn't sure of what to do. And that actually creates a really good connection with your mm. team members. So then on the other side of this, they have so much more respect for you. Right. Uh, the other couple of things to keep in mind is, you know, creating a lot of certainty for your teams because they don't actually have certainty right now. Mm-hmm. So that might even be if they're working remotely, it might be that you stick to the same cadence of meetings that you've had forever because that feels normal to them. So it's kind of clinging on to as much normality as you can um, through this time is going to give people a lot of comfort and also, you know, bring out the positives and the opportunities and reconnect people to your vision. And you might even have to do that for yourself as a leader. You might have to sit there and think, has my vision changed? You know, am I still, you know, passionate about what I'm doing? If not, why not? And what do I need to do to fix that? And then you need to be communicating that to your team so that they have something to latch onto to help move them through as well. 
So um, I hope that answers your question, Kevin, but I think there are a few yeah. key things that are really relevant to, to right now and really practical and easy to implement. Right. I, it, it, please remind me, I, I would love to put, because I, I actually read that article when, when you posted oh, you it on did, LinkedIn. Yeah. So I, I want to make sure that we have that link in the show notes because I think that yeah. is so um, apropos for, for what people are facing. So I, I've got a follow-up question too. Just, I mean, yeah. I, I love the, you know, kind of the experience and the, the space you, you come out of or, or actually, you know, still in, I guess, but like the HR space, because I think you have a unique view of just like workplace. And so yeah. what do you think life is going to look like post COVID, post coronavirus? And uh, just, you know, put on your futurist hat just for a second and say, okay, you know, six months from now, 12 months from now, this is, this is what the landscape I think is going to look like. It's going to be different than now. Yeah. Yeah. Look, I think it will be a new normal for sure. Um, I was actually probably around five weeks before all of this crisis hit. I'd caught up with, um, with a, a ex colleague who was up in Brisbane, um, up in Australia. And we were talking about, you know, future of work and all of those sorts of things. And our robots going to steal our jobs and all those yeah, conversations exactly. that most people have. And it was really interesting because a lot of the things that we were talking about has what we were considering would happen in the next five years has now happened in a matter of five weeks. And so things like, you know, more frequent remote working opportunities and more flexible work, um, businesses are now needing to embrace technology and really look at ways to automate things and reconstruct how people work and maybe think around is, you know, someone in a full-time role, is that really the best way for someone to work or is it a job share opportunity for that particular role? Mm -hmm. Like really being able to think outside the box. I think before this, um, most people were just doing things because it was the way that it was always been done. And yeah. I don't think that attitude is going to serve you very well if you're moving forward uh, in business and you want to have a really relevant business moving forward. Right. So I think we're going to see um, a huge level of remote opportunities and more flexible work opportunities become available because businesses and organisations now have been just thrown into the deep end mm -hmm. with it. And of yep. course, processes and systems and everything is going to break to start with. But as they start to build that up and they start to find solutions, there will be questions that people ask around, well, do we need to have this big three-level office space or do we need one level with, you know, uh, some meeting rooms where, you know, we can have some meetings one or two days a week all in person and then the other three days everyone works from home. Exactly. So there might be that sort of hybrid approach, yeah. I think, that will yeah. come into play. And I think that's really important for businesses to be thinking mm -hmm. about because, A, I think your employees have adapted to working remotely, some of them loving it, some of them hating it. it might depend if you have kids or not <laughs> that, right. are exactly. that are not at school. <laughs> I don't know if that plays a part. Exactly. But um, I think there's going to be a lot of people now that um, employees are going to come back and they're going to want more flexible remote mm -hmm. working solutions. And I think businesses need and, and should be open to that. I, I mean, it's interesting because I, I was going to kind of follow up, you know, with the idea that, you know, I think businesses that do not adapt to the new normal are going to be left behind. And if you're competing with another business for an employee, a potential employee, I think that they would maybe even take less at the other company if the if the the work environment was more flexible. You know, they didn't yeah. have to do the commute. They didn't have to, you know, certain hours or, or that type of thing. So I, I think you're exactly right. I think, you know, companies are going to have to adapt to be able to compete in the marketplace, you know, moving yeah. forward. 
I was working with a, um, a large education institution like probably about a year ago now and you know there was a conversation that happened where there was a, a, a manager and he just so happened to be a boomer I'm not picking on boomers um, he just so happened to be a boomer and he had one of his millennial uh, team members come to him and you know he's this single guy who was 24 years old and he asked to work remotely and he asked to work I think a few days remotely and the boomer's response at the time was that, you know, well, you, you haven't really earned it and you don't really have a valid reason to work remotely. You don't have a family, you don't have kids, you don't, you know, what yeah. is your actual reason for requesting this? And it's really interesting because, you know, from a millennial's point of view, they're thinking, well, I can do my job from home. It makes no difference. I'm on my laptop, whether I'm in the office or exactly. I'm at home. Um, you know, for his particular role, there was no requirement for meetings and, and things with the team. And, you know, from the boomer's perspective, it was kind of like he was asking to have a privilege or it was seen as a privilege mm -hmm. or it was like that he hadn't earned his stripes or, you know, all of those sorts of things that you hear, right? And I think those attitudes, you know, have to shift in order to move forward because they're not going to serve you any, any longer. Um, and and I'm not picking on boomers because, you know, millennials and Gen X and all the rest of it, other people can have those attitudes as well. So I think that's a general, general thing to be cautious of. Oh, there, hey, there's no reasons, there's no need to uh, have any caveats or apologies because I, I'm a boomer who happens to agree with you because <laughs> I, I think that, yeah. um, I, and I can just imagine that employee, you know, walking out of that office and immediately getting on Google <laughs> and looking yeah. for another job. <laughs> he was. Yeah. You know, let's let's find something that is a little more flexible. So, yes, well, Amy, absolutely. I have uh, I thoroughly enjoyed our chat today, and I, I just love to you know hearing your backstory and just I I really appreciate you kind of unpacking, especially the, the last part about you know just how to navigate you know coronavirus and COVID nineteen well and how to lead your team well and just just the whole package today. I mean, it's just been great. I could I literally could ask you questions just again and again, but we are I do <laughs> want to honor your time, but. Is there anything that I haven't touched on that you just want to kind of wrap up with and then maybe tell people where's the best place to, to connect with you online? Yeah, well, I guess you've just sort of mentioned the key word there is online. So I think I would really encourage people if they're not, uh, if they don't have an online solution or they're not, they're, you know, don't have their own digital presence online, it's super important. And now's yeah. the time to actually have the time to invest in it. Right. Um, so that's really, really a great practical thing that you can do to help you through this time as well. Um, and for anyone that does want to connect with me online, um, you can find me on LinkedIn at Amy L. Smith Coach. And you can also find me on Instagram and Facebook at Amy L. Smith. And my website is uh, aligntribe.com. So where did the name Aligned Tribe come from? Great question, Kevin. Um, I am like cautious to admit that a couple of wines were involved, um, <laughs> but I'll admit that. <laughs> Look, um, for me, it's about bringing people together and it's about, you know, building that tribe within your organisation, no matter of people's backgrounds or um, levels of experience or age or anything like that. So, you know, for me, my whole thing from working from the HR point of view is, you know, how can we how can we build up the people component of this business to um, really align it to the business mm -hmm. strategy and really make sure that everyone's on the same page and moving forward to the one direction. So, you know, that's where sort of, I guess, those play on words that Align Tribe came from. But yeah, it was a bit of brainstorming with a couple of wines and then looking on uh, the domain names to see what was taken and what <laughs> wasn't. Was and all those fun things to do as a, as a startup entrepreneur. So, right. yeah.
what what dot com we could get because you know we don't want a dot net or a dot org that's for sure that's so, exactly right yeah you know Simon Sinek <laughs> and and Seth Godin would be very proud of your name though because it's it's like this perfect merger of their kind of their two philosophies <laughs> yeah yeah exactly yeah well Amy thank you again for just taking the time today and just you know sharing your experience and I, I love the, the the whole ethos behind you know what you've built here and it just fits so well with what we're trying to build here at Rising Tide and I just thank you for just playing your part and helping all boats rise in a rising tide. Amy have a great day. Awesome. Thank you so much Kevin thanks for having me. Thanks everyone bye. Another episode in the books. We hope you heard some great takeaways. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a five-star review on iTunes and YouTube. As always, thanks for listening to Rising Tide.